Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers. The Old Testament book of Numbers and Numbers in chapter number 21. Numbers and chapter number 21. Notice with me, if you don't mind, everyone take their own copy of the Bible for themselves and look for yourselves that you could see what the Bible says. Numbers chapter number 21. Numbers chapter 21. We're continuing with the wilderness wanderings and has been watching in the last several weeks there's been one common theme. One common thing that God has been pointing out over and over and over. And that would be complaining. Good. Everyone got that. Because it's been happening over and over. They they complain, they complain, they complain and God deals with it. So guess what they're going to continue to do today? Complain. You'd almost think that they would learn their lesson. But then you'd almost think we would learn our lesson from time to time. That God hates complaining. It is an awful, awful sin. And we'll redefine it here in just a minute. But I wanted to give you the idea where we're heading to. And what's the backdrop of this. Notice with me in the book of Numbers chapter number 21. Numbers chapter 21. And notice with me starting at verse number 4. Numbers chapter number 21 and verse number 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. To compass the land of Enam. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that is mentioned twice in verse number 9. The book of Numbers chapter 21 and verse number 9. A serpent of brass. And then at the end of it, serpent of brass. And with the Lord's help, we want to see this incident that prompted this symbol this serpent of brass this serpent of brass if you don't mind let's go to the lord together let's pray 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who's worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be served. And as we come up to you today, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy. Help us to understand your passage here. Help us to understand what you are trying to get across, what you're pointing to, that we could look and live. I'm asking, Lord, that you would just let your gospel be clear. Let it be presented in a clear fashion. And that you would help us to look and live by faith, trusting after you. Again, fill me with your precious spirit so you can get your work accomplished. Thank you for whom you are. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start off, I want to hit this passage here and show you the idea, the need for the symbol. The need for the symbol as we deal with the serpent of brass. The need for the symbol. Now, once again, the people complain. Now, remember, this generation, like no other generation who lived before them or lived after them, had witnessed God's power. This is a generation who watched as God had delivered them from Egypt with ten plagues. This is a generation who witnessed God open up the Red Sea and allow two and a half million of them to cross on dry land overnight. They witnessed as the Red Sea closed up and swallowed up Pharaoh's army. They have witnessed God open up and bring water in the middle of the desert from a rock twice. They have watched God supply for them bread Every day from heaven called manna. Every day. Now for years. They have witnessed it. They have even witnessed as God had brought quail into their camp. And had it stacked up. And so they could eat it for an entire month. Two and a half million people to eat meat for an entire month. He had brought so much. They have witnessed God's miracles. They have witnessed as the earth has opened up and swallowed up Korah and his band of rebels. They have witnessed miracle. They've witnessed God's power. And yet they complain. They never got to the place where instead of complaining, they went to God and asked and prayed. And God would have been glad to give his children good gifts. But they complained. And they complain. And guess what? We get to this passage and they complain again. Notice with me in verse number four. And they, the children of Israel, journeyed from Mount Hor. This is where Aaron had died. Remember, we had talked about this last time. Aaron had died at Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible lands, that on the other side of the Jordan River, you would have three major countries. You would have Ammon, you would have Moab, and you would have Edom. Edom had originally been founded by Esau, the brother of Jacob. He had settled in this land by uh, directly east of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel are now compassed and right next to the border of Edom. They're still not in the promised land. Remember that they've already had the judgment of Kadesh Barnea. That anyone 20 years and older at the pronouncement of that judgment would not live to see the promised land. Or to go into the promised land. But the next generation would have to go over. We've already discovered that they would have to have about 100 funerals a day 
It was a march of death during this time. And people are discouraged. People are unsatisfied. Knowing that it was their own fault. They're now wondering. And now they're discouraged because of the way. So instead of going to the promised land. Remember it was an only an 11 day march. Now they're in year two, three, four of an 11 day march. You almost think that someone's saying, can't you go ask for directions? They're following after God and God is doing his work. And yet they're not trusting God. They're miserable. Verse number five. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Now, if you could see this, this progression of complaining, when they started off, they just complained against Moses. But now they got to the place where they even complain against God. Now they complain against Moses too. But now they're getting pretty bold about their complaining. And they're saying God is not good and God is not right. By the way, that is the definition of complaining. What is complaining? Complaining is saying God has not been good and God has not been right. Anytime you complain, that's exactly what you're saying. God has not been good to me. God has not been right to me. This is why God takes it personally. Because when you complain, what you're doing is you're calling God a liar. You're challenging his character. You're saying that God is not good and God is not right. And God is always good. And God is always right. And so because of this, they complain against God. They complain against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of the Egypt to die in the wilderness? You know, this is the same thing they've said over and over. We were better off in Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here? You just brought us out here to die. We would have been better off back in Egypt. Well, for 400 years, they're complaining, get us out of Egypt. And now we want to go back. We had it better off then. For there is no bread, neither is there water. And notice this, our soul loatheth this light bread. What is this bread they're talking about? This is that manna from heaven. You know, they had gotten to the place where they despised God's provision that they hate it. This is what God provided for them. This is a dangerous place to be in. To hate what God has provided for you. When God has done so much for us and to hate, this is, I follow God. And this is all that he allows me to have. I got this house. Why do I have this house? That sounds facetious until you hear somebody complain about it. Why do I have this car? Didn't God provide this for you? Why do I have to be an American? Don't we hear people complaining? God's provided so much for us. And yet people start to get to the place where they loathe and complain. They hate what God has provided for them. Well, they have sinned. And the Bible is very clear. For the wages of sin is death. Notice verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. So because of their complaining, God sent serpents in the wilderness. And there was a lot of them. And the serpents would come and bite someone. And if they were bitten by these serpents, they were on their way of death. It was a painful death, a poisonous death, a fiery death. And so for the wages of sin is death. Because they complained, we've already seen this theme over and over and over. The number one thing God has killed people for in the Old Testament was complaining. 
And they complain. They sinned. Now they're worthy of death. And they know they're worthy of death. Now this is a different. Why did God send these serpents? Because the people haven't learned their lesson. God had sent a plague. Didn't affect them. Because the plague was there and over with. He sent uh, the quail and then people died there. Well, it was done and over with. He opened up the earth and swallowed them. And it was done and over with. But the thing about the serpents is that they were a constant reminder. Death is right there. Death is right there. Why are they here? Because of my sin. And for the first time, for the first time, the people admitted that they were a sinner. And because of their sin, they deserve to die. And they need someone to go to God and ask him to forgive them. To take away the punishment. Take away the death they deserve. Notice with me verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. So they admit they're a sinner. And they even specifically admit what sin they have. Pray unto the Lord. So they're asking an intermediator, someone to go in between them and God. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And so he said, Moses... I want you to craft an image and I want you to make it so anyone and everyone could see it. And if they're bitten by a serpent, they're on their way of death, they're under the penalty of death, they are condemned already. All they have to do to, to be relieved from this death they deserve is to look and to live. Verse number 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And so the answer for them was to look and to live. They did not have to build a serpent of brass. They didn't have to do anything but look. That's all they had to do. Now, let me tell you. Was it a requirement that they had to look with both eyes? For example, let's say that someone was bit. And because they were bit, the poison went through them. And they could only see from one eye. And so with that one eye, they know that they're under the penalty of death. They look up with that one eye. If they looked up with that one eye, would that be enough for them to live? Yes. Because the requirement was to look and to live. What if someone was bitten and because of the poison going through them, they're at the very end and both of their eyes are swollen shut. And the best they know how, they look up to where they were told to look. Would they live? Yes. What we understand here, it is not how much faith you have as it is the object of your faith. What is the object of our faith? It's Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why do we say this? Because we know that there's a lot of people who have faith in so many things. I was talking with someone the other day that were saying, You know how I know I'm going to heaven? Because I'm a Catholic and I have faith 
that I'm a Catholic. Well, I believe that this person had lots of faith. She was sincere in her faith. Her sincerity wasn't the problem. Her amount of faith wasn't the problem. But the object of her faith was not correct. Let me tell you, you could be Pentecostal, you could be Baptist, you could be Catholic, you could be Jehovah's Witness. It doesn't matter what the label is because the label won't save you. Jesus saves you. Jesus is the answer. He's what we're looking for. You understand? There is a lot of people who have faith in the environment. They've got to help Mother Earth and their whole life. They have more faith than a lot of us have. But their faith in Mother Earth will not forgive them of their sins. It is not how much faith you have as compared to the object of your faith. What if you had someone who had never grown up hearing about Jesus? They didn't have Sunday school class. They didn't have anything. And someone came up to the Bible and showed them that from the Bible that you're a sinner. I can admit that. And because of your sin, you owe, you've offended a holy righteous God and you owe God a punishment. I could recognize that. But God loved you so much that Jesus died for you. And all you have to do is trust him. Believe in him. That's all you have to do. And so someone who doesn't know any religious uh, ritual, they don't know any religious terms, they might not even own a Bible. But if they hear the truth that they're a sinner and they recognize they're a sinner, and they hear the truth that because of their sin they owe God death, and that because of the truth uh, (laughs) that Jesus had been offered to them to give them a way of escape, if all they had was that and they recognize those facts and they look up to Jesus without going to church, without having a Bible, would they be saved? Yes. Because it's the object of the faith. Now, we'd be glad to teach them all this stuff afterwards. But you understand, you have to recognize you're a sinner. I understand there are some people that say believe in Christ. But you understand that you have to recognize that you're a sinner. And because of your sin that you've offended a holy righteous God. And Jesus prepared a way of escape for you. Do you know that this this, um, incident here was referred to in the New Testament? And it was referred to by Jesus himself to teach someone about the salvation that I just explained. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in John chapter number 3. And I want to show you here what the symbol represented what the symbol represented. We want to go back and see how Jesus himself used this incident to teach about the salvation I explained to you. And in John chapter 3, it's early in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And as he's going around doing miracles, as he's been teaching, he has a religious leader, a Hebrew religious leader, a Hebrew teacher of the Bible who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Notice with me in John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. John chapter 3 and verse 1. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man could do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So here's a man who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Maybe it was because there was a big crowd around Jesus during the day and he wanted a private talk. It could be that he, being a teacher, didn't want everyone to see that he was going to go ask questions about the Bible to Jesus. But whatever the case was, he came to Jesus by night. And he says, Jesus, I know that you're a teacher sent from God because 
the miracles that you're doing, that's proof that God is with you. And so I'm coming to you because there's evidence in um, your life that you were sent by God. And I want to know more about this. Tell me. And so verse number three, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, the word verily carries the idea of truly. So truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus was a religious ruler. He was someone who knew the Bible. He taught the Bible. And Jesus gives him something that stumps him right away. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. Notice with me in verse number four. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus said, verily, verily, you must be born again. Nicodemus scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. It's not like I could go back and crawl into mom. How does this work? Tell me more about this. You need to explain it to me. So Jesus does in verse number five. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter this kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, meaning a physical birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So Jesus says, let me tell you what I'm talking about. You have to have two births. You had a physical birth. You also have to have a spiritual birth. And by the way, just as real as your physical birth was, your spiritual birth is just as real. Meaning it is a specific event. For example, if one of these kids went up to their mom and said, Mom, was I born? The first thing the mom would do was laugh. Of course you were. But mom, how do you know I was born? The mom would say, I was there. And she could give you a time and a place. She could explain the events that occurred during each of those births, during the birth. And so Jesus is saying, just as real as your physical birth was, your spiritual birth is just as real. May I kind of explain this a little bit further? Is a child slowly born? Meaning, does it take, now we know that the, child is being formed, but the event of birth, not born, born, all right? It wasn't a process of time where the child was slowly being born. The incident of the child being born happened in a moment of time. You were born. That's why we give you a time. I was born on February the 9th of whatever year at this specific time. Why do you give a specific time? Because there was an event that happened. There was a moment that you became born. That you were considered in this world born. All right? Just as real and specific of an event was the moment that someone accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The moment that happened, you become born Again, you have a spiritual birth. It is not a slow process. Now, we know that there's some events leading up to it as God is preparing. But the moment that someone accepts Christ, the moment that they realize that they're a sinner and Jesus is their only hope, the Bible gives this idea. They passed from death unto life. That was an event that happened. 
One moment you're spiritually dead, the next moment you're spiritually alive. There was a moment of time that happened. Now, Jesus goes on and explains. He talks about the Holy Spirit, verse number 8. Uh, but notice as Nicodemus answers this and is trying to get clarification. Verse number 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? I mean, can you, the first time that you heard being born again, wasn't it kind of a puzzle? How, did, how does this work? What do you mean that one moment I'm from passed from death to life? That one moment I'm lost, but now I'm found. How is it that one moment I'm going to hell and one moment I'm going to heaven? Explain this. How can this be? Verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that which we do know and testify that we have seen and ye have not received our witness. Jesus said, we've told you about these things. The Bible's told you about these things, but you haven't received it. Verse number 12. If I told you earthly things, ye believe not. How should you believe if I told you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he had come down from heaven, even from God, the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now, Jesus is saying, all right, what I have to do is I can't just tell you about heavenly things. Whenever a teacher teaches, he goes from the known to the unknown. Well, Nicodemus is a teacher of the Bible, the teacher of the Old Testament. Would he know about Numbers chapter 21? Yes. So he's, Jesus is going to use an illustration as a teacher, someone who's taught through this before. He says, let me give you an illustration of something that you know and take you from the known to the unknown. Verse number 15, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, Nicodemus would understand what happened in the wilderness. Because of the people's sin, they had deserved punishment. They incurred the wrath of God. And because of that, they deserved to die. They admitted that they were a sinner. They recognized they were a sinner. And so in response, God provided a way of salvation for them. A way for them to be saved from the punishment they owed God. That's what we talk about salvation, by the way. What is salvation? It carries the idea of delivered, to be delivered from the punishment we deserve. To be saved from the situation we owed. Well, we use it in religious terms. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the penalty, the wrath that God has upon us. Because, in fact, notice Jesus speaks about this in verse number 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten of the Son. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The, here it says people were already condemned. What does that mean? We're already sentenced. We're already determined to be guilty. We're already worthy of the punishment. We're deserving of, of God's wrath already. But Jesus came to deliver us, to save us from that condemnation. And that all we have to do is look at him. Look and live. 
trust him. Depend upon him. That's as simple as it is. As Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up. So what does he mean by this? What does it mean that Jesus has to be lifted up? Verse number 15. That whosoever believeth in him, Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life. Then Jesus repeats himself. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look and live. Now we understand this belief carries the idea of trust. For example, I have a seat up here, a pew up here. I can believe this could hold my weight. But it does me no good until I put my trust in it. I could say, you know what? I believe this will hold my weight, but never sit in it. It does me no good. I can say, well, I'm trusting in this, but I could kind of halfway sit in it, so I'm not putting any weight on it at all. You know, I'm trusting in it. Now, when do I trust it? When I depend upon it to hold my entire weight. You understand? I'm now trusting in it. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to define terms. That it's as simple as looking unto Jesus. But why are you looking at him? What are you trusting him to do? I'm trusting him to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting him to deliver me from the penalty I owed him. There are many people, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. In fact, in the South, we have what is called the Bible Belt. It's no longer the Bible Belt. It's very much a religious belt. And what you have down there is that you have a lot of people who believe they're a sinner. They're taught that. It's cultural. They know they're a sinner. They also believe that because of their sin, they deserve hell. They believe hell's a real place. And they believe that they deserve to go there. They know that. That's cultural. They also believe that Jesus died for them. But is that enough to save them? Not at all. You see, the thing they have to do is they must personally accept Christ to be my Savior. They must personally accept that gift. They must apply it to themselves. It's one thing to have a head knowledge of it. Sure, if all I do is look, I'll live. Yes, I know that's available for me. But when does it come to play? Not when I say, well, sure, it will do me good. It's when I actually trust it, when I actually look. Now, remember, it's the object of our faith that saves us, but there's that dependence, that looking, that obedience to it. Am I trusting him? Am I looking at him? Am I putting my faith and trust to him? Now, it doesn't be, have to be hard and complicated. We make things complicated. But the simple thing is to look and to live. Will you look at him? Will you trust in him? Will you depend upon him? It's not an intellectual exercise. It is a matter of the heart. I trust Jesus. The best I know how, I'm asking him to save me from my sins. The best I know how, I'm asking him to deliver me from the penalty I owe God. There has to be a moment in time when that happens. And the moment that happens, we have everlasting life. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish or die or go under God's wrath or go to hell, but have everlasting life. So many times when um, I deal with people, I try to give them assurance of salvation. I remember there was a friend of mine, and we're still friends, in the military. And um, 
I was in the same military base for five or six years before I saw my first coworker uh, bow their head and accept a crisis or savior. And then they kind of fell like dominoes. And I remember there was one man that I worked with. I was praying for all the time. And uh, he had grown up with a different uh, philosophy uh, than a lot of us grew up with here in America. And, um, <laughs> and so it was hard for him to kind of understand uh, this idea of salvation and that Jesus had made it free. And I worked with him and I remember I showing up early at work. He worked night shift. I worked early morning shift. So before everyone else showed up, I came and I talked with him one last time to talk to him about salvation. And we went to the break room and I explained it again. And he says, can I receive him now? Yes, let's do that. And so we bowed our head and we, ex- uh, and he made a prayer. And I said, at the end of the prayer, I said, who'd you just talk to? I talked to God. I said, what did you ask him? I asked him to... He says, can I do it again? (laughs) Sure, no problem. Whatever it is. Because he said, you know what? Was I talking to God? Well, if he needed that little... Sure, you talked to God. You wasn't just saying a prayer. I want to do it again. Then he prayed and he says, God, I'm asking you to save me. You to save me. And then when we were done, I said, who'd you talk to? He said, I talked to God. I said, what'd you ask him? I asked him to forgive me of my sins. I said, what did God say? Would God say absolutely not? No way. And he said, no. He said, yes. I said, you know, you want to know how you know? He said, yes. John 3, 16. Did you believe in him? Yes. Then according to this, you should not perish. But instead, you have what? Everlasting life. I said, how long is that? Is that a week? He laughed. No. Is that a year? No. How long is that? It's forever. God made you a promise of everlasting life. And it's nothing that you did. It's everything that he did. You're trusting in him. Depending upon him. Look and live. That's as simple as it was. He still writes me postcards and thanks me for that day where he accepted him as savior. You understand? God made it so simple that anyone can go to heaven. Whether the smallest child or the oldest person. If they understand that they're a sinner and because of their sin that they've offended a holy righteous God and that because of that, that sin that they owe God a punishment, they owe God a debt. But Jesus paid the price for them and they come to the place where they personally accept him as Savior. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty we owe God. The Bible says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty we owed God. How does this happen? Well, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The idea is simple, to look and to live. God has made it so anyone and everyone go to heaven. Because it is not how much faith it is as opposed to the object of our faith. I'm trusting in Jesus. So the simple question I want to ask you. Has there ever been a time in your life where you became born again? Can you tell me about the events May I say it this way? Can you show me from the Bible that you know for sure that you're going to heaven? 
everyone should be able to be able to take the Bible. Because how do I know I'm going to heaven? Not because someone told me so, but, but because I'm trusting in God's promises. This is what God promised me, and I just believed what he told me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's me, believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you 100% sure from the Bible? Do you know for sure that you've gone through that event of being born again? Now, there is a lot of religious people who say, I go to church, I heard about Jesus, I know about Jesus. Let me tell you, that's not enough. Have you trusted in him? Did you believe in him? Have you gone through that event of being born again? And if you haven't, it'd be my great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from God's precious word how you can know without a doubt, know without a doubt that you have eternal life. The Bible says in the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, that word know means to have evidence of, to have proof of, to know with a surety. And let me tell you, you need to know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. The Bible says in the verse before that, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What I'm trying to do is encourage you, dear friend. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. But I'm trying to tell you that you need to know that you know that you know that you have eternal life because of God and His Word. And if you don't know, let me tell you the greatest thing in the world is to get that settled. To have that knowledge for a fact. Because of God's promise for you to look and to live. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.